Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, the most listened to, most requested, and actually most emailed of all the shows that I do all week long, which turns WABC, the most iconic call letters in the world for a radio station, into ABC, always broadcasting, Curtis. It's the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy. And Nancy, before we start critiquing uh, everything that is affecting our animal friends and our animal, in some instances, uh, fellow family members because they live uh, with us side by side, when you first saw that video that I took of art in the streets not far from our studios at WABC, can you describe to people what your emotions were? I'm, well, first of all, it's it's hard to not feel, I mean, beyond compassion, but, I mean, just saddened. Um, I mean, obviously, art has his wits about him, so he realizes what's going on. And he realizes what he needs. Like, I mean, his basic uh, desire was just to have a soft bed to sleep in. So, I mean, just, I mean, that right there just kind of broke my heart. I mean, it, it, he wasn't even asking for anything. It's just he didn't want to sleep on the sidewalk anymore. No, but it, it actually made you cry when you first saw that. And I think uh, as people go to my Facebook and go to my Instagram and go to my Twitter, they're going to shed a tear too because. It's just unconscionable how we can allow our own citizens to wallow in their own defecation. That's what he was doing. He's a proud man. He was crying. And uh, no help from the city, no help from the state, no help from the country. But we're certainly going to help him like we are all of our animal friends, uh, Nancy, uh, and as many of our listeners do who listen to the Animal Welfare Hour. In fact, if we can... I want to play this song by Judy Collins as an intro as we give an update on our whale friends who continue to die at unprecedented levels. Yeah. 
And Nancy, uh, I get more response to the problems that our whale friends have, especially along the Jersey Shore and the South Shore of Long Island, than almost any other animal issue of late. People are just crestfallen. They can't believe that there are organizations that have uh, forsaken the whales. For instance, I remember first reading about Greenpeace and very valiantly volunteer men and women would go out on a boat and take on the whaling ships of Japan and Norway. And sometimes those whaling ships would fire harpoons on them, would try to sink them, and it was all to save the whales from being killed. It was a magnificent group, and they've done such great work. Why is it? that they will not intervene and even render an opinion about all these whales that are dying on our shores. I mean, well, as to why, I don't quite know why they're not doing that. Um, Clearly, they're still prioritizing uh, saving, you know, saving the whales, you know, quote unquote. But, um, you know, even to this day where, uh, you know, in the near future, I think within like a week or so, they're going to... Um, you know, like one of these areas where like the the whaling is going on and making sure that uh, more or less it's like the companies are abiding by the regulation. So it, it seems like what's going on is their focus, I mean, for a while has been more or less these sustainable practice elements. So if uh, maybe certain companies or certain organizations, they're overfishing or maybe they're capturing something they shouldn't, but you know, in this idea of protecting the whales, that's, I mean, clearly a large portion of what they do with, with their, you know, activities, but they're not taking a stand on, you know, any of this sort of uh, ancillary destruction, this collateral damage going on as a result of the wind turbine. So but why they're doing it, I couldn't tell you. I think it's because they're believers in green energy, which I am, and I know you are, But we're also rational enough to say if what we're doing to create green energy is killing whales and dolphins and birds, why wouldn't we just put a stay on developing it until we could study it, see what's causing this, try to remedy it, and maybe we could have our green energy and also safe pathways for whales, dolphins, and birds. I mean, it's not a very complicated situation. It's just, it's almost like, oh, we would have to agree with people who maybe ideologically are not bonded to us. They've become so tribal about this. Yeah, I mean, like on a very basic level, if your main goal is protection of the oceans, then the fact that you can't make this simple correlation between this brand new activity and this quote-unquote unusual event going on, I mean, really shows that, you know, maybe someone else is, is paying you at this point. So maybe you're really not protecting the ocean. So, But it, it, like everything else, you have to follow the money. I haven't looked into their money trail, but something tells me that's probably what accounts for it. Could you please do a deep dive on that? They're not the only organization. There are so many groups that were created to help animals in distress, to make sure they're not being victimized. And they, too, seem to have decided to sit this one out. Meantime, more bad news. 
offshore wind energy plans are advancing in New Jersey despite opposition. We have a governor there, Murphy, who's half in the bag. He always looks smashed and won't even take questions about why he is pushing this forward without taking any time out, having a study of the problem. He wants more and more of these windmills, no matter what the cost involved is in terms of what the taxpayers have to pay, and more importantly, what the costs are in the animal community. Yeah, so so in particular, uh, they're addressing um, you know two of the projects that are going forward, uh, in spite of obviously like um, you know public opposition, and you know sort of explaining away why it's not really a big deal but you know because the you know the the image is now so bad it's already been so tainted this connection between what they're doing to the ocean so the, you know they're trying to save face a little bit and they're quote unquote partnering with the federal government who has a lot of information on what's going on in the ocean so supposedly the federal government information will be shared with these companies who can, you know, choose to use this information or not, but hopefully it will help them form, um, you know, a better plan of action. That being said, uh, these contracts that are already signed with these companies, they permit them something that's called uh, take, which is like the equivalent of like collateral damage uh, concept. So it's understood that their activities are going to disrupt the ocean so much that it's going to you know, their activities come with a certain amount of presumed deaths of whales. Now, that's the stuff that they're not very uh, verbal about. That I think that information would really, you know, sort of illumin- be a very illuminating to people in general to know what the trade-off is, like how many whale deaths that they've agreed to with these contracts. Like, at least, at least we'd be aware of what's going on. Wow. So you mean they have factored into the contracts X number of whale deaths. So they're saying as a result of building these huge windmills six miles offshore, 13 miles offshore, the size of the Chrysler building, this number of whales will die as a result. Yeah, so they've already factored that into the equation. But now because they're getting a lot of blowback, they're trying to make a little bit of a causal connection. Like, well, if you intentionally do it, then maybe we can halt your project. So, you know, now they need to have, like, it's almost like a legal, presume, like a like sort of a, a liability intent. I mean, to think that these people are going to self-monitor themselves, but again, th- this is already factored into the contracts. They're permitted to, um, you know, sort of kill this, these many whales. And so the, so the fact that they continue to deny this sort of causal connection is really absurd because they've already factored it into the contracts because they knew the work was going to cause this. Like, what are we denying here? Wow. So they already are aware of what they're doing in order to put these windmills up in the ocean are going to cause a lot of deaths of whales and dolphins. And uh, that adds uh, another thing. You mentioned the word cake. So this is not what you serve uh, on a birthday, right? (laughs) C-A-K-E? No, no, it's actually called take a T A K E. Oh, so, so yeah, it's a, again, it's a very nice way of saying, well, this is how many we presume are are going along for the project that are gonna, you know, that that are gonna have to be, uh, you know, you know, give their lives for the project.
You know, I think Murphy and Hochul, who have staunchly decided they're not going to be open-minded on this at all, they're just pushing ahead, never assume the amount of backlash that they're getting, blowback, from so many different political sectors. They're getting it from liberals. They're getting it from conservatives. They're getting it from people who never really considered animal rights before. But they see how egregious this is, and yet... They've taken basically both of them the same position. We're not going to engage in conversation. We're not going to ask for any studies to be done. We're not going to have any town hall meetings about this. We're just going to keep signing no-bid contracts in which they keep raising the fees of these contracts before they've put the first stanchion into the seabed. Yeah, and, and again, it's very presumptive to think that because they're in office for a few years, they can make a commitment that's going to bind everybody for decades when it's completely ill-advised. And actually, these contracts are made with foreign companies, so there's going to be no oversight over them. So it's like, you should not be in a position to make this type of a decision. Absolutely not. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. 1-800-848-WABC. Before I came to WABC tonight, you showed me this video from the shores of Pensacola, the panhandle of Florida. That's where the Top Gun naval guys uh, train and gals. But there was a shark beached. I mean, a big shark whose mouth was open and he was snapping away. And you asked a question, and even I had to say to myself, hmm, would I go out there and try to drag that shark out into the water so it could swim away? Explain what actually happened. Yeah, so this was uh, Pensacola Beach, and it was uh, a shark that basically had sort of stranded itself on the beach And, you know, obviously the people on the beach were freaked out because it was a shark. And so they alerted the lifeguards, and they're just letting everyone at the beach know. And between the lifeguards on duty and the wildlife rescue, I guess, that they were able to call, they said, oh, there's nothing we can do. So, you know, I mean, at that point, now you're seeing this, uh, you know, shark, which is trying to struggle its way back into the water, and I think then they realized, well, there's no help coming for the shark. So they, they took a little sympathy on the shark. And, you know, someone's recording this sort of rescue attempt. So, uh, you know, a couple times uh, the, the gentleman, they're trying to grab the tail and, and drag it back out. And obviously, as soon as they grab onto the tail, it starts moving. So they get very scared. But, you know, they were eventually able to get it out into the water where it swam away. But you know, more or less, you, there was no one to call to rescue this shark. The presumption was if it stranded itself, they were just going to let it, you know, perish on the beach. So I think I would say if I was there and I saw any, you know, living creature struggling and all it's trying to do is get back to the water, I would have pushed it back in. Yeah, and it's amazing. Here are people, lifeguards who are paid, good swimmers, 
Uh, then you have Parks uh, Department employees, both of them refusing to help the shark. And once again, it came down to the people. The people said, we're not going to let this shark struggle. And ladies and gentlemen, you have to go and see this video. This shark is struggling. You could see it's dying. But still, with every last ounce of fight it's got with them, it's trying to get back into the water. And eventually the men and women are able to guide it back. They had to jump away a few times because (laughs) the shark was flipping and biting away and not biting it down, but just like it was almost like a death rattle. I wasn't there, but I could assume the shark was in the throes of a death rattle. And because of their perseverance, they saved that shark. Yeah, I mean, and any time, obviously, you're around any living creature that you don't know, and especially a wild one, you know, they don't have um, much interaction with people. So, you know, it's wise to be cautious. But, you know, I I think there is that general connection where they recognize I have, like, moments to to exist and you're doing so. So, I mean, that's where everything sort of came to a point. You see in the video, it's like eventually – the shark just stopped wiggling, and then they were able to let the shark go. And, yeah, I mean, again, it wasn't harming them. It just, you know, apparently got beached. And then we talked about great videos, the video that you posted of me and the homeless African-American art. You really got to look at it, ladies and gentlemen. It's on my Facebook page, my Twitter page, my Instagram page. It'll break your heart. But there's another video out there that you showed me again earlier today of the 19-year-old blind milk cow that finally got a home of its own, and it'll put a smile on your face. You look at this cow, couldn't see for 19 years, and then finally it was turned loose over to a place, a refuge for the cows. And, And just describe the transition, Nancy. Yeah, so the, the the refuge, it's a sanctuary, uh, Uncle Neil's home in New Jersey. And, you know, apparently, so what this is like a, a dairy cow. So from the time this cow was born, that was its destiny. It was just, um, you know, uh, giving milk. So now this cow named Helen, <laughs> they've dubbed it Helen, was blind. So for, you know, for 19 years, it's living in this tiny enclosure where, you know, it's continuing to give birth to little cows, and obviously those are taken from from her. Now, and, and she can't see. Like, again, so this is, I mean, part of the craziness, this cow literally had no interaction directly with any other animal, any other cows, because the way that they keep them enclosed. So, you know, thankfully at this point, I mean, the, the place that had used this cow for as long as it did said, well, we can't take care of it anymore, probably because it wasn't giving milk anymore. So thankfully, you know, uh, Uncle Neil's home sanctuary came along and they took this cow. And the first uh, time that it was able to interact with another cow, that was another rescue um, milking cow, uh, right away it was uh, interacting, um, you know, cleaning the other cow. Like, And since it's been there, it won't leave people alone. Like all it wants to do is be around people. It's like craving interaction. So... I mean, it's just a beautiful story of just seeing that level of, you know, like, again, humanity that they have. I mean, you know, again, people, I don't think they put it together when they're drinking their milk. Like, oh, this is where it comes from. But it's like, these are beautiful creatures that have so much feeling and sentiment, and this is the life they lead. So, 
you know, it's just something to be mindful of. I mean, there's other alternatives. You can have almond milk, you know? <laughs> like, you can do something else besides this. Oh, you see this video, and you see the cow that was in this pen its entire life, barely able to move. As you had mentioned, brought many calves into the world, immediately snatched away from her. She can't see. Yeah. Expected, you know, to meet her quota of milk production each day. Again, wallowing in their own feces because they're in that pen. And I don't want to hear, oh, we clean it out. or Get out of here. It's like art out in the streets had to wallow in its own feces. The inhumanity of it all. But then this great place which brings the rescued cows in. Again, could you repeat the name of it? Oh, yeah. Um, it's uh, Uncle Neil's Home Sanctuary. It's in New Jersey. Uncle Neil's Home Sanctuary in New Jersey. And you watch the rest of the video, how both of these rescue cows frolic. They're friends with one another. As Nancy says, they're now interacting with human beings. What a difference. And so if you can help them at all, uh, what's the name of that rescue uh, place? Oh, yeah, again? Uncle Uncle Neil's Home Sanctuary. And actually, um, the the cow that you know initially I was telling you about, you know, when Helen was rescued, was sort of paired up with this mama cow they called her. And unfortunately, that cow recently passed away. So that was you know another rescue, and that was like a close friend of this rescue cow. But you know, again, like I, I'm I'm a big believer in you know sort of all of these rescues. I mean, that's why I like to take the the cats who are in the shelter who, you know, when they're older, oh, they say hospice. Like, But I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for giving them a wonderful end of life. I mean, I, they certainly, especially a working animal deserves that. I mean, like how you can just not mind them after they've given you so much. But, you know, every... Every living creature should have some love at the end of its life. For no, it, it's really, it's a tearjerker to be able to see the transition. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then probably the story of the week, the Brazilian illegal alien who had escaped from jail here after killing was on the lam. Seemed like the state police and the other law enforcement agencies were paralyzed. They couldn't find this little shorty short guy wearing a Philadelphia Eagles pullover jersey. And then it was a canine dog that took him down, right? Yeah, so it's a, a, a four-year-old uh, Belgian, let's see, Malinois dog called Yoda. So that was part of their uh, Border Patrol canine unit. And... This, uh, you know, obviously this guy was on the lam for a while, and this dog was able to uh, chase him down, pin him, and, you know, sort of secure him long enough where they were able to arrest this guy finally. Um, but, yeah, so, again, it just shows you how. And, again, be, being able to apprehend, I mean, obviously this is what, where the canine dogs, you know, are so important, being able to apprehend people, and, you know, it's not like a deadly force. I mean, you know, this is a perfect example of, of where they come in very useful. I got to tell you, having spent time in the U.K., Britain, organizing Guardian Angels there, you get the newspapers every day. They got a lot of newspapers. And they all love animals. I mean, they put animal stories like right up there, page, first page, second page, third page. The Brits love animals. I would say even more so than Americans. And yet... They've decided to start banning different breeds of dogs. What has uh, sort of propelled this issue? Because generally, 
uh, I found like with their British bulldog, they're so proud of, of really what is the symbol of their country, the British bulldog. Yeah, so, I mean, so again, right, this seems probably a little bit more of that normal uh, knee-jerk reaction, you know, trying to respond to some immediate instance. So uh, by the end of 2023, uh, certain breeds of dogs in, you know, are set to be banned, including obviously like the, the pit bull uh, breed. And it has to do with a few uh, high, really high-profile type attacks. And... You know, obviously, the the specific attacks that they spoke of were, you know, horrific sort of instances. But, you know, again, this is where you, unfortunately, uh, the breed gets demonized. Now, they initially tried doing this in 1991, right? This was like another sort of uh, legislative issue. And they said the same thing. All the people who have this breed of dog, they have to register. They have to do X, Y, Z. And it it turned out like um, 25% of the people who own that breed of dog ever complied. So, you know, as you can imagine, in other words, it wasn't really successful. So this idea of creating this law that, you know, probably isn't going to be complied with is not really such a good idea because, you know, in the mix, you're really demonizing an entire breed of dog. And usually that leads to a lot of, uh, you know, bad behavior, like, you know, people euthanizing them at shelters. Oh, they're, they're destined to be aggressive because that's that's what they're saying about them but the majority of these instances these dogs have been used not only throughout history but usually throughout the time that they're even within like uh, possession of individuals you know they're viewed as um you know either they're they're used as protection or oftentimes they're used as fighting dogs so you know unfortunately they're being held accountable for really the bad behavior of the owner so this idea of trying to do that now, again, and just to put a little, uh, like, reality on the situation, too, to think of these types of, uh, and it's not just a pit bull they're trying to ban. It's also, like, um, uh, different uh, two different breeds of mastiff dogs, uh, really big dogs, but the traits of these dogs are loyal, protective. So really what it shows is a lot of bad behavior. It's like these dogs, their entire personality is to really protect the people they have. Now, in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s in the United States, these dogs, uh, pit bulls, were actually called um, nanny dogs because people would trust them with their children because they were so protective of their kids. So just to go from that persona to, like, the narrative being displayed today, I think really, you know, explains a lot. It's like people are teaching them the wrong way. It's not a bad breed. It's the people's behavior. Now, final question before we go to the calls. Uh, Western Pennsylvania has alligators. How the hell did alligators get out to Western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh, the border with Ohio? What are they doing out there? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what they're doing out there because, you know, supposedly their natural environment, they would only go as far as like North Carolina. So this is people who've had them as pets and, you know, they've decided maybe they're too big. They release them into the lakes, the rivers. There's also, um, you know, some element of, believe it or not, a lot of these alligators getting to areas because of the way the flooding is going on, like different um, lakes and tributaries. Things are connecting that otherwise hadn't before. So, yeah, apparently there is a lot, but it was a funny story because because of there being uh, sightings of alligators in Pennsylvania, the police are now going around doing wellness checks where 
they're asking people who they know own alligators, are you missing an alligator when there's maybe one on the loose? And they're saying, you know, we're not really trained in this. Like, they don't they don't teach us this in the police academy. So, th- again, this is like almost the same way in the NYPD. They put, um, you know, sort of regulation of animal crimes on the NYPD. It's not really what they're trained to do. So in Pennsylvania, apparently now the police have to take on board alligator wellness checks. Let's go to the phones. It's Joe in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, Nancy, uh, I did do the audio book, The Zoo, by James Patterson, a crazy book, but part of it's set in, uh, right here in New York, the New York Public Library. But talking about the resiliency of, of some of these animals, uh, the octopus uh, can have eight brains and can regenerate to its actual youth to an early, uh, you know, a given octopus. Then you've got sharks that that they get they get as many as a full new set of teeth once every several weeks. And uh, the Greenland shark supposedly is said to have lived over 500 years. And a bowhead whale, approximately 200. So it seems like we're interrupting species that have a lot of, uh, you know, regeneration capabilities and are doing well with, with our interference. Well, you know, I noticed, uh, Nancy, that uh, our friend John Katsimatidis Jr., son of John and Margot, uh, said to his dad one night, I'll never eat octopus again, which is like a staple of Greek dining because of their intellectual capacity and how close they resemble human activity. Yeah, what you just said about that, that brain thing, I, I completely have to look into. But to your point, you know, every time you hear about, oh, cutting down the rainforest, oh, we just lost this many species and they're able to do that, like, why are we not looking into that? Because that's a little more powerful. Like, there's a lot of different um, vitamins and supplements and things I take. It's all based in the Arctic environment because things that exist, exist there, they have something within them that's beneficial to help us live longer. Like, there's a lot of out there we can learn if we're looking at it and not destroying it. So you're right. Like, to your point, let's not rush to destroy everything. Let's go to Diana in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Addiction, Diana. Hi, good evening. I read in the New York Post about a new documentary, Thrown to the Wind. I don't know if Nancy's heard of it, but uh, he directed and produced Jonah Markowitz, uh, proving that the U.S. government is officially lying and covering up the uh, death of the whales that are washing up. They've evidently done testing, uh, loud decibel level, on state-of-the-art hydrophone equipment, and uh, the increased uh, uh, boat traffic from this uh, new wind industry, is they found a direct correlation with the specific whale deaths. That's all. I just, you know, read that. I don't know if you guys heard about it yet. I have not, uh, but Diana will certainly, the both of us, uh, will be very interested in seeing that documentary, Nancy. We, that, that's got to... I, I, I will definitely check that out, and to your point, I, I don't doubt that that is exactly what's going on, because when you look at the budget that these companies are putting in for their PR campaigns that paint everything as rosy and great, there's a reason why they're putting a large part of their budget into the PR campaigns.
Well, I think also based on what you said earlier in the animal welfare edition tonight, they have built into these contracts the number of whales that will end up being killed by the construction and the operation of these windmills that they do. They've already factored it in, but they won't share it with all of us. Yeah, you have individual fishermen who get fined and, you know, threatened with jail sentences if they damage the ocean environment by taking too many fish. But these companies who are getting tax breaks are able to kill the, the whale life. Like, that, something seems very off with that equation. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. To the phones we go. It's Alice calling all the way from Ohio. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour, Alice. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I I volunteered at a shelter and about a little over a year ago. I adopted a senior dog. People usually go toward the puppies uh, and the kittens. And when uh, the seniors are really overlooked and they can be, they can be so gratifying. My little guy, I named Sam after uncle Sam and he came from a, an unusual situation, and it has been wonderful to watch him grow into being a family pet. It's uh, it's just another another suggestion, and I it's wonderful what the two of you are doing. Well, thank you, Alice. And in fact, uh, I notice uh, Nancy that when we've been at the shelters, uh, we've seen uh, that there's not the same desire to uh, actually uh, adopt uh, older cats, older dogs, older animals. You know, they always go for the little puppy dogs and the little kittens. Yeah, I mean, and I think obviously some of this stuff is maybe being concerned about medical issues, but the truth is I think there's a lot that can be usually done with TLC, really, because when people, um, you know, maybe surrender their animals, oh, it's like a behavioral issue. And maybe they don't have time for it, but it's same like with people, like they get stressed out. If something's going on with them, you know, if you have a little extra time, you know, sometimes, you know, people have pets and, you know, they, their life goes on, they have kids and they, they just factor them out of the equation. And I think the health is a result of that. So when someone comes along and can really pay mind to them, I think that goes a long way. It's not always health uh, or behavioral issues. There, there are many factors to surrender their animals there sure. they they might be moving there is a death and the, a shelter can give you uh, i volunteered there for for years and the shelter can give you the animal's background and then what you do you research uh you look at the breed uh sam's a little shisu and he's i uh, adopted him when he was 10 he's 11 now he's going to be getting his akc canine good citizen Next, uh, in a couple of months. It's taken a while, but you do the same research for these little guys that you would do for uh, a puppy or a kitten because all the breeds have a different... So they're not all problems. It, for sure. Everyone... Absolutely. Yeah. Beg pardon? No, I, I totally agree with you. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, and, and again, sometimes they get, you know, they'll get forgotten and when yeah. you, know, you you pay them a little mind, it's like, oh, no, this is their personality. It's just they kind of went to the side for a minute. 
Let's go to Pat, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pat. Good evening, Curtis and Nancy. You're the best. I might have missed some episodes when it was covered. Whatever happened to Flacco? Is that the owl's name? Yeah, that's Flacco. Flacco, who had uh, somebody had opened up uh, the wire meshing uh, in the Central Park Zoo, and Flacco the owl escaped and was flying all around Central Park on the outskirts and then inside in the... Everybody was following Flacco and thought he would die. He wouldn't be able to feed for himself because he had been hand-fed since he was a little chick. And then he was doing what animals do. In the Central Park, he was going after rodents and rats late at night when they're out nocturnal, doing a good job keeping them at bay. But uh, to be honest, Nancy, have you heard any updates about Flacco's whereabouts? Well, I, I know that there's a couple um, online, uh, you know, like uh, photographers who do track Flacco. So Flacco is still around. And, you know, and actually, like, to your point, it's interesting because, you know, Flacco must have really gained some great skills because, you know, he, the fact that he's feeding on any of the, you know, sort of things outside, obviously there's the potential for things having uh, rodenticide, and, and he's been able to avoid that. So kudos to Flacco for being smart enough to figure out, you know, you know what to munch on. Let's go to Mike on the Lower East Side. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hi, Hour. Hi, Curtis, Nancy. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, uh, whenever there's a, uh, a whale death, they should, uh, you know, uh, be willing to spend the first thousand, rent uh, a flatbed truck, Put the whale on a flatbed truck and bring it in front of uh, the, their governor's office and where he eats and all of that and just, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe a day or two or three and, and because it's out of sight, out of mind, you know, and just rub it in on him and all his politicians in New Jersey, you know, and, uh, and uh, that's the only way he's going to realize, hey, you know, he's 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 got control of this. That is uh, that that's is a, a great idea. That's an excellent <laughs> idea, Mike. Especially uh, all the gin mills that Murphy hangs out in and gets smashed. Imagine him bring one of those magnificent mammals who is washed ashore, no longer alive, and before you take him for a necropsy. And notice we never get the results of you know, these yeah, necropsies. And, and, and that's and that's the truth. Like in in a lot of these areas, like when this happens in Hawaii, they have a necropsy result within the next week. So you can tell that they're not really concerned about it here because it's months and we have no results. So, yeah, actually, that's a very effective method. I mean, we have the case involving the human Daniel Penny, the Marine, who put a chokehold on the emotionally disturbed uh, young man, Jordan Neely. We still don't have uh, any reports back in terms of the toxicology report. What kind of drugs Jordan Neely was on at the time of that confrontation? So it's obvious when they don't want you to know information because it's not going to reflect well on their uh, situation, they keep it from the public. There's no transparency. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is now that the public is able to see the result of the, you know, whales washing on shore. But now as the season, you know, goes to winter, maybe people aren't going to notice as much or they'll get a little, you know, more savvy in being able to grab the bodies up before they wash on shore so we don't notice it. But, yeah, it's something to be mindful of. I don't think it's going to – it's not that the numbers are going to stop. We just might not see it as much. 
The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Back to the phones we go. It's Michael in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Mike. Thank you, Curtis. Let me be brief. Number one, we have got to get rid of uh, Phil Murphy saying this year is a wake-up call. We elect a new governor in 2025. Yeah, well, remember, he's term limited, so he's not I'm like... I'm very much aware of it, but there are ma- it's the state senate and state assembly we've got to send the wake-up call to. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, if the voters demand a litmus test of both Republicans and Democrats running for the state assembly, state senate in Jersey, and a new governor. Uh, Whether it's uh, Citarelli, who seems to have the lead amongst Republicans, or Fulop, the Jersey City mayor, wants to uh, be the Democrat. Uh, I think, Nancy, it's incumbent that Jersey residents demand that they announce what is their position on the windmills. Are they in favor of a temporary stay until we can fully study why they appear to be having such a a negative detrimental effect on whales, dolphins, and birds? Yeah, I would say that's a minimum given his um, previous flip-flop on the bear hunting. So he's already shown that he says one thing and does another. So, yeah, hold his feet to the fire on this. Let's go to Gary in New Hampshire. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Yes, uh, this question is for Nancy. Nancy, at 60 years old, I am not a big fan of pit bull dogs, but I am a fan of dogs. I'm sure I told you before, Curtis, in the country of Canada, they are bad for the last five or ten years, give or take. No pit bulls allowed. Nancy, I want your feelings on it uh, because everybody always says, that's how you treat them, this, that. Just one dangerous situation and it just cringes anytime I hear something uh, that happens that's terrible. Thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, definitely I don't agree with the concept of uh, banning the, the breed whatsoever because I do think so much of it has to do with how how these animals are treated. And clearly, especially the United States and I'm sure Canada as well, they've been used throughout history as fighting dogs, bait bait dogs, I mean, and, and the people who have them today, if if they're not being treated appropriately, okay, and then they have bad behavior, like that's one thing. I don't know if you can say that, you know, you, you're going to sort of uh, put that sort of bad behavior of the owners onto them. But, again, the problem is because of this sort of, you know, few stories, again, these few stories, you're looking at the totality of these incidents, these few stories that happen, it's caused so many thousands of dogs that have that are totally great dispositions that have nothing to do with what's going on here to be euthanized. There are people who can't have dogs in their building, who can't move into a place, who have to relinquish them to a shelter. There's a lot of bad things that happen as a result of a few bad seeds. Like, if you put that on human behavior, would you want that to be how humans are treated? I would say not. So, again, I I think we have to go a little bit further because the result is they're being euthanized. So we have to think a little bit deeper than that. Well, I remember uh, organizing the Guardian Angels in Cleveland. I was staying at the house of a husband and wife who were the leaders of the group there, and they had a pit bull. So I was sleeping on the couch watching TV in the wee hours of the morning, uh, 
In fact, it was Frank Morano's favorite performer, Uncle Floyd, uh, who uh, performs all over New Jersey. He actually had a nationally syndicated show on NBC at that time. I'm watching it in Cleveland. The pit bull is clearly having a nightmare. It's moving its feet. The next thing it does, it latches onto my ankle. And I'm like, uh-oh. If I move, will he ratchet it up even more? So for like the next two hours, I'm stuck there. The pit bull's jaws are wrapped around my ankle. It's clearly having a nightmare of some sort. And so I had to stay really calm, really quiet, and not move. And then when the... um, the, the man in the house came downstairs because he had to get ready for work. He was able to say something to the dog, and the dog snapped out of it. But I didn't have a tooth mark on my ankle. I thought for sure he had embedded his teeth into my ankle. You know, and, and the other part, too, is like it's like the energy that you give to any animal. If you, I mean, if you start off being frightened of them, I mean, that's one of their biggest things. We can't communicate with words, so they pick up on your energy that sort of immediate, um, you know, scared element, you know, that's being pushed onto them as well. So there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that have nothing to do with them that's sort of happening to them. Like I've noticed that with, you know, um, stray cats that I've met, you know, when you approach them, you're very quiet, you're very soft. When people are scared, they have a different reaction. They pick up on your energy. Let's go to Mike in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Mike. Yes, good evening. How's everybody today? Uh, yeah, I I have a friend who has a, a, a cat named Helen. It's a rescue cat. Uh, she can't see. She's the best mouser in the house. <laughs> and cannot see. Now, was it blind at birth? Do you know? No, it was. It was. It, she was. She's a rescue cat. She's got uh, fifteen other cats and uh, three pit bulls, and it's a happy household. Wow. She was in Canarsie. Now she's, she just moved to North Carolina. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, Nancy, it sort of gives us pause to remember the cat you rescued from the shelter who was going to be euthanized, Homer, who yeah. was totally blind. Yeah. And this cat just would communicate, would meow. That's how we communicated. Uh, and it just became the most lovable of all of the adopted cats you ever brought back to our apartment. I miss Homer uh, to this day. Yeah, Homer was great. I didn't know what uh, the expectation would be with a blind cat, but, uh, you know, very, very quickly, um, you know, Homer just glommed onto us. And actually, it was funny, every time that you came home, it was like right away, Homer knew and was like sitting right on top of your lap. Like you just, you couldn't peel Homer away from you. That's right. And it would take down my high blood pressure. They do that naturally. <laughs> now, why is it that so many cats end up with eye problems that may result in them being blinded in one eye or losing an eye or maybe even being blinded in both? Well, I mean, I would say with my experience with uh, dealing with the cats who live outdoors, the problem is, Obviously, it's like a a completely dirty environment for the most part. I mean, you know, like in New York City, obviously, 
um, you know, and it's not a an easy place to keep them clean. But then also, uh, you know, they're they're separated from their mothers usually. At I mean, they're almost considered full grown at like three months. Uh, sometimes something can happen to the mother. The mother can't clean them. When their eyes get dirty and infected, when they're small, they can't take care of themselves. So if they get separated from the mother or something happens to the mother, within a couple of days, their eyes get so closed up from non-cleaning, it gets infected. I can't tell you how many uh, kittens I see on the list at the New York City shelter where they're rescue kittens less than three weeks old, and their eyes have to be, they're so bulged up from infection that they have to be taken out. They're going to be either with one eye or or no sight whatsoever. It happens that quickly because it's just if living outside in New York City. It's not, you know, it, it's not going to, it's not, it's not advisable. Now, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, uh, Nancy, about any more issues involving uh, animal welfare, how might they do that? Uh, well, you can go to guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab, or you can email me at nancy at guardianangels.org. And uh, please, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Nancy, right before the Animal Welfare Hour, uploaded for, uh, uploaded for all of you to see the video I did with uh, Art, African-American homeless uh, senior citizen. It's going to make you cry, and it's going to make you say, why is it Art can't get a room at the Roosevelt Hotel, which he's tried, but illegal aliens can on our dime? Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa. Here's Curtis Sliwa. Dominic Carter in the house with his own theme song wherever he travels. And he and, is. And who gave me the theme song? I did. Because this fits you like a glove. In the words that uh, reverberated across the uh, nation, if it fits right, you must acquit. Mm. Or if it doesn't fit or whatever. Mm. Johnny Cochran. Right, right, right. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Exactly. In the meantime, Dominic Carter, you are burning it up. You are so far ahead in getting contributions for your team in the upcoming uh, Tunnels to Tower walk and run. Second year in a row. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, we can't. This is like a horse race where you're at the three quarters turn, and we haven't even finished half the race yet. Me and Sid are behind you. The Mama Luke Frank Morano is behind you, and the others they barely have registered any donations. Well, what, I, well, I, what is it? I, I have to be honest with you. I think it's the passion of the people that listen to us on a daily basis. You and I, and um, your shows, and me, and. And I think that uh, Tunnel to Towers is an outstanding uh, charity that does amazing work. And that's how I explain it. But that's two years in a row. You smoked us. So, all why, of us. so why are you shocked? I'm not shocked. It just shows you the kind of listeners you have. And that's reflected in the ratings. I saw the most recent rating book. You uh, beat Rita and you beat Frank Morano convincingly in the ratings. 
That means you're, you're sandwiched in between them for the one hour. Uh, so you have Rita from 10 to 12. You're on 12 to 1. Normally t- tonight you have the extra two hours. Mm-hmm. And then it's Frank from 1 to 5. Right. Man, you're smoking. You're, you're like moving. And that's because you're getting listeners because you're doing old-fashioned talk radio like Well, let, let's look at it for a second. First of all, working between uh, Rita and Frank, they're good people, as you know. And um, the key to my success has been the Katsimatidis family, as you know, Margot Katsimatidis, John Katsimatidis, and, of course, also Curtis Lewa, who coaches me and critiques me and... And is there whenever I need him. When people ask me, they say, you know, how do you describe Dominic Carter's broadcast? I said, it's as if Bob Grant came back from the dead as a black man. <laughs> so it is, really is. You laugh, you have a good time, you chastise some callers, you're feisty, you're funny, you have cutting edge issues. You don't really have guests. You just, it's you and the callers. That's good old-fashioned talk radio, and that's why your numbers are soaring. And and the listeners. It's, it's not because of me. It's the content of the listeners as well. No, no, you really do have uh, great callers and great listeners who uh, participate with you and don't mind getting beaten up from time to time by you. Uh, so... You are, like, on fire. You, you've got Thank your you. finger right on the pulse of what talk radio is. Thank you, brother. And, uh, and it, keep in mind, Margot Casamitidis, day one, she says, Dominic, we're going to figure this out. We're going to find a spot for you. Hang in there with us. She's kept every word, every promise of what she has said, as well as Mr. Casamitidis. That's true. And, and, and some more. By the way, that may not be true of Frank Morano, who follows you. Uh-oh, here we go. Oh, my God, that Mama Luke. Here we go. Why do you call him a Mama Luke? Well, because he's a mama's boy. Let him tell you the story about when he burnt down his mother's house, and his mom came back and didn't at all raise her voice mm. to him, Frank. Now, that's the definition of a Mama Luke, and he sure is one. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.